providing real solutions for real industry challenges. Welcome to FNF Unplugged, the talk of the title industry. Well, good day to everybody, and thanks for joining us for another FNF Unplugged. And today uh, we have uh, Nicole Tempanaro from Fortune Title in New Jersey. And Nicole, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. We usually start these uh, conversations, actually, in regard to our conversation, this is a very uh, germane point, but uh, we start with the question of, you know, how did you get in the title business? And can you give us a little background on that? Absolutely. So I I was kind of born into the title business. I'm third generation. My grandmother was an abstractor in Hudson County. Um, My mom was also an abstractor. She was my grandmother's partner. And then eventually my father also got into abstracting and then transitioned over into title insurance. So I remember growing up in Hudson County courthouse and coloring in tax maps, which is probably not something a child should be doing, but... (laughs) I had a lot of experience and um, because of that, actually had decided that I never wanted to get into title. I was going to do something else. So um, I did my undergrad at Villanova in business management with a minor in information systems, went to work at ADP, worked you know entry level at first and then worked my way up to project management, got my master's while I was there in the management of information systems and was really headed more towards like a tech-centered career. We were developing a web-based solution for the unions to calculate their benefits. And it was great. It was like starting a company within a company. I co-managed a development team. I helped with quality assurance. I went out to the unions and spoke with them about their requirements and came back and kind of translated for our development team, wrote specs. It was just, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work. I worked 60 to 80 hours a week. There were weeks where it was Monday through Sunday, 12, 15 hour days, but I absolutely loved it. Then I got pregnant (laughs) and I had my daughter and, you know, your whole universe changes when you have a child and, you know, that level of work just wasn't feasible for me anymore. I wanted to be home for dinner. I wanted my weekends back. And I had a conversation with my boss at the time um, when I went back and was like, look, I need help or I need a different schedule because this isn't working anymore. And in response, I got three more clients, which was not exactly what I was looking for. (laughs) And uh, just you know, said to me that I really needed to make a career change. By this time, my dad had fortune title. So I talked to him and I begged him for a job. I was like, I will do anything. I don't care if I'm photocopying, just sit me somewhere while I figure out what my next move is. So I started working for him, took a very severe pay cut and started just doing document recordings and updates, very basic title. And I started looking into a different career. I wanted to be a teacher. I thought that would be good for my schedule, for my family. So I was looking into those options. And while I was doing that, I also started looking at my dad's business and you know, helping him and making some changes. You know, there was a process flow in my department that wasn't so great. I said, can I redo that? He said, fine. So I did. And and that went really well. He had a bunch of accounts with the counties for recording and they were really not managed well. So I asked if I could take them over. He said, yes, I got all of that in line and created accounts and reconciliations for them. So we had a better handle on it. And then his office manager at the time, who was... His first employee, 
started as a photocopy girl and was now running the office and managing finances for what was a $4 million company. So it was a little over her head at this point, came to me and said, when are you going to take over the corporate accounts? And I said, that's your job. (laughs) She said, I know, (laughs) but I think you should do it. So, you know, that's when I started really thinking about whether or not I wanted to stay and and make this a career. So my dad and I sat down again and talked about it. And I was like, look, I think I can really help your business. I'd love to take what I've learned in college and post-grad and apply it here. My dad helped me through college. So I felt like I kind of owed him, right? (laughs) (laughs) So we made a decision that I was going to come on board, but just focus on the business side of the business. I'm like, I will never issue a purchase commitment or attend a closing or do any of the production work, but I can business the hell out of this business. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, And that's how we decided to partner up. And it's just been really great since then. I love working here. And, you know, I went from not ever wanting to be in this business to becoming so passionate about it and loving it so much and just wanting to be involved in all the associations and whatever I can get my hands on. Well, you know, that's a great story. And I'll say that so many people who are title agents and settlement providers around the country are in family businesses. And just as you've experienced, multi-generational family businesses and uh, and certainly your background and, and training in uh, information systems, that's that's huge in our business today. But going back to that, you know, the issue of a family business, because uh, when I first uh, was an agent, in Cincinnati, my partner, it was a family business for her, for her father, uh, who had just recently retired. Being part of a family business presents advantages and it presents challenges. Can you discuss what some of those have been and, and how did you uh, work with or and or through those? Absolutely. So I would say probably the hardest thing for us was dealing with the different dynamics that we had, right? So we have our father-daughter dynamic, and then we have our business partner dynamic. And in the beginning, that was really rough because in the beginning, as I started looking through things, there were I was uncovering a lot of issues. My dad is one of the most knowledgeable people in title that I know. He's amazing. He's very well respected in the state of New Jersey. And a lot of people come to him for that. But when it came to the business side of the business, he wasn't, you know, he didn't run productivity reports. He didn't have an employee handbook with policy. Like that just wasn't his shtick. And when I came on board, I started implementing So he thought everybody was just doing a great job and doing so good. And when I started tracking productivity, you know, I started showing him like, look, like these employees are doing great, but these employees really aren't doing much at all. So we have a problem here. And my dad's an I love everybody kind of guy. So he wasn't really into disciplinary action or addressing these issues. So that was really more came more on me and was more my job. So I was really popular at first, you can imagine. <laughs> um, and, you know, as we were going through these things, it was just we're both Sicilian and we're hard headed. So we had plenty of fights in the conference room. And it, it was because it was challenging, I decided to go and, and get help with it because I wasn't sure how to adjust our dynamic. So I actually worked with an executive coach for a couple of years who came in and worked with me and him 
on helping us, you know, separate the dynamics so that when we were outside of work, we were father daughter. And when we were inside of work, we were business partners. And it took a lot of work for us to really adjust our behaviors and to treat each other different ways, depending on where we were. We had to make rules like we're Italian. So we have family dinner, like literally all the time, like three times a week, we would eat together as a family. And it was very difficult not to talk about work at the dinner table because it's such an integral part of our lives. But we made a rule like there's no work at the dinner table. We can't talk about it. And we would have to call each other out. And and eventually we finally got past that. We still slip every now and then, but we're pretty good at yelling at each other not to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that's uh, so critical. And so many people who have family businesses and certainly in the title and settlement uh, business and, and the fact that you brought in sort of a third party to help work through some of those processes. I think that's, it's, it's a very inventive thing. A lot of people don't do that. And your work in improving the business processes, I hear you, at least from the get-go, nobody appreciates a change champion. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so even when the, the result turns out well, people are like, well, yeah, I guess it was a good idea. But, uh, you know, six months ago, I really didn't want to even see you in the office. But you know, that sort of thing to be able to, uh, you know, transform a business and to be flexible. That's something that our industry has certainly shown through COVID. But your agency was originally and principally an REO agency, as I understand. And, you know, as we know, that business has significantly declined in the last couple of years. And, and it's virtually stopped with forbearance. It'll probably come back again with some strength when forbearance passes. But, you know, what steps to be taken to expand your business base and what, and what drove you to make those decisions? So I started expanding the company back in 2009. When I first started working with the company, we were probably like 95% foreclosure and REO. That's what my father's most well known as. He's incredible with it, um, but it was it was all the business. And in 2009, there was litigation around the notice of intent that went all the way up to the state Supreme Court. And while this litigation was getting resolved, there was a complete freeze in the money that moved through the system because with foreclosure, you only get paid when a file hits a certain bill point. And because everybody was unsure of how this litigation was going to resolve, everything froze. So files were not hitting bill points. So money was not running through. And it was a very difficult time for our company. I had to lay off more than half our staff. And that included my mother and my brother and you know my aunt. So I was, again, super duper popular firing everybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, I did tell everyone, look, just go and go on unemployment and just wait for me because as soon as this litigation is resolved and the money starts moving, we're going to be able to bring you back. So it was temporary, but it taught me a very big lesson in terms of our revenue streams for the company that we couldn't rely on foreclosure and REO. There's always foreclosure and REO, but here was this unpredictable economic condition that just stopped the industry. So I knew I had to diversify. So I did start re- recruiting traditional business with them. And you know, I got us to a point where we were probably... foreclosure, 20% traditional insurance business. You know, my goal in life has always been to get this company to have, you know, a third revenue coming from foreclosure, a third from residential, and a third from commercial. Um, But it was really hard for me to do on my own. I was pretty much the only salesperson. 
and, um, you know, it was slow growing. So this past year, this past January, we brought on a new partner, Raymond Kernu. And, you know, he's just an incredible salesman, um, had a big book of business. He recruited three other employees that came with him and overnight just completely changed the landscape of our business. Um, so you're right with the forbearance, there's almost no foreclosure work. Um, if it actually weren't for the traditional business I had prior built and all of the business that Raymond and those other employees brought, I would have a very different company now. We'd be in a lot of trouble. But right now, almost all of my business is coming from traditional insurance because of those books and because of you know the work that's being done. I never had a sales force before. You know, now I have a chief sales officer, Raymond, who is managing a sales force and has really just transformed our revenue. So I'm very eager to see what happens when foreclosures do come back and that income returns, what my income diversification is because I think I'm a lot closer to my goal now than I've ever been before. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think that sort of strategic planning is so critical for everybody to hear in our industry because uh, uh, so many title agents around the country are smaller shops. They tend to rely on just what is the local business. And uh, when I was uh, a young law student, as one attorney told me, uh, who represented a savings and loan, there's a term that a lot of people don't uh, no anymore. He said, yes. He said, when business is good, you um, do closings and put people in houses. And when business is bad, you foreclose and throw them out. And, <laughs> you know, and that's, and, and that's, and that's sort of the industry cycle. It's like, well, that's pretty simplistic. So what you're doing, uh, I think is so important. and such a great message to hear because uh, so many agencies uh, do rely, whether it's a geographical base or it's a uh, type of source base for their business. That's really dramatic, and, and what you've done is incredible. And, and I know, too, that uh, uh, you're you know, expanding throughout New Jersey, and a lot of our listeners probably are not familiar that uh, how business is done in the northern part of New Jersey and how business is done in the southern part of New Jersey is fairly different. Can you talk about those differences and how that's impacted uh, your expansion? Yes. Yeah, so, and, and there are very marked differences between the North and the South. I mean, there's, you know, just traditional things like in North Jersey, it's Italian ice. And in South Jersey, it's water ice, which makes no sense to me, but um, <laughs> that that's how it is. Um, and when it comes to title in North Jersey, it's very much more attorney driven. And in Southern New Jersey, it's much more realtor driven. And there's a slightly different relationship that you have with your client base in each section. So um, in Northern Jersey, you know, it's very rare for people to want to close at the title agency. We're usually at the attorney's office or, you know, if the realtors involved, the realtor's office, but um, there, there's less settlement happening in my building. So I have this beautiful settlement table that I very rarely use up here in Roseland. As we started hitting the Southern market more, there it's much more realtor driven. And it's very important to have a settlement location and it's very important to have local offices. So I learned this lesson. Raymond taught me this lesson. The first office we opened was actually down in Pennshawken because we do have a pretty heavy market in Center City. And that's was hitting South Jersey and also Center City. And, you know, I was not a believer of this at that time. And I'm like, you know, setting up a branch is not going to bring me more business. This is ridiculous. I can close anywhere. And it just brought me all this more business. 
And I was like, okay, I guess you're right. <laughs> and uh, we subsequently have opened up an office in Tom's River and another one in Red Bank to cater to those areas where we have significant books of business. And those offices are very heavily used. And uh, it, I really learned a big lesson about that, about the importance of branch locations. Well, and uh, your point about uh, North Jersey and South Jersey, uh, I quite often tell friends because we, as you and I have discussed, I, we vacation in Ocean City, New Jersey. And sometimes when the freeway is jammed, we take the back roads between Philadelphia and Ocean City. And there's one place in South Jersey where they have rodeos every Saturday night. That's not an image that most people outside of New Jersey have of New Jersey, that there are rodeos in uh, South Jersey. No, uh, South Jersey is a lot slower and a, there's a lot of farmland. You have the cranberry fields. It's really a, a beautiful, beautiful beautiful part of New Jersey. But I think when people think New Jersey, they think North Jersey and the speed and the, you know, um, density of population. And in Southern New Jersey, things really are more spread out. It's a completely different feel. Certainly is. And something too, uh, you know, sort of encompassing all that, you know, on your website, you really discuss very clearly and openly, uh, you know, your community involvement and your corporate culture. The old uh, saying that's attributed to Peter Drucker is that culture eats strategy for breakfast. How has your culture helped you with your expanded business base? And, and what changes, I mean, as you've discussed, uh, when you came into the uh, business here a dozen years ago, you know, how has that corporate culture remained the same or how has it changed? And, and again, what, you know, how's it helped you? So every corporation has a culture, whether you identify it or not, right? There's a culture that exists anywhere. And I had a really amazing base to work with in terms of company culture. My dad's got a huge heart and he treats everyone like family. So to him, Everybody in this building, are they're his children. They're his sons and daughters. And he treats them like that. So there was a huge family culture that, that I entered into. What I did was I, I took that and I tried to bring it to the next level. So my father and my COO, Amanda, and I actually sat in our conference room with, with the whiteboard. And we spent hours writing down all these different words that we thought identified who we were and what our culture actually was. And we narrowed that down down to 10 different words, which you can see on my website, um, family being one of the bigger ones. And, you know, we started really implementing in the office, the importance of that culture. So we told everybody and we tell everybody when we hire them that the ability to get your job done and your adherence to the culture are equally important. So if you do a good job, but you're not adhering to the culture and representing fortune title the way it should be, you're going to lose your job. And I'll be honest, the majority of our terminations are around culture and not performance. And, you know, that's that's generally because, you know, you can change someone's behavior. You can help them modify a behavior. But character is not something you can change. You know, people are who they are at the core. And we have worked very hard to develop a team that all shares the same value system. And it took us a very long time to get there. Like we really just got there over the past year. And I found that that culture, achieving this culture has led us to just have 
such better service because everybody's answering the phone with a smile on their face because they're happy because we have such a positive working environment and because everybody's so in sync. And, you know, that culture, that belief system expands outside of our company. Like this is how we work with our vendors. This is how we work with our clients to us. You know, our vendors and clients are just part of the fortune title family. Our vendors are our partners. They're helping us get our job done. Like we wouldn't be where we are without them because they're providing a base for us to do what we do. And, you know, when we're developing our client relationships, we're looking for relationships with people that share our values. So, you know, when things get tough and things get sticky, because they always do, there's more of a a team feeling and a we're on the same side. We're just going to have to figure out a way to make this work. And if something bad happens, we're going to come up with a really good solution and we're going to figure out a way to try to prevent that from happening together. So, I feel like our identification of our culture and our dedication to it has just really helped us so much have a good business, have positive relationships and have strong relationships. Well, I I think that's, again, such an important message. And and so many title agents have embraced that and realized what you've realized. A lot of people, as you say, there is a corporate culture. They just don't know what it is. And I haven't thought about it. And, uh, and I, I think it was uh, Roy Disney, Walt Disney's brother, so that when you, when you know your corporate culture, your decision making is very easy because it flows out of your culture, applied to your strategies. And uh, so I think that's uh, such a significant story. And, and, and say so you're involved in a lot of community things. Can you talk just a little bit about some of the community things that uh, you have involvement with? Sure. So I would say uh, the one that I'm most passionate about is the Fighting Children's Cancer Foundation. I'm actually on the advisory board with this foundation. And what they do is they provide financial support for families who have a child with cancer so that one of the parents can stay home and, and do what they should be doing, which is caring for that child. It's a very emotional foundation because it's tough seeing these stories and seeing these kids. And we do have a lot of activities with the kids to help them, you know, forget about their situation for a moment. There's an equestrian program where we do horse therapy and, you know, get them on a horse and walk them around. Um, We have an annual gala. We have a Christmas party, um, just a lot of things throughout the year um, to help these families. And that's probably the one I'm most passionate about and and spend the most time in. (laughs) Well, that's uh, it's such a wonderful story, and uh, and it's it's so meaningful not just uh, for what you're doing there, but also again as we discussed, you know, an extension of your culture and you know who Fortune uh, Title is uh, and what that does to help you uh, attract people, and and I'm presuming that culture too has helped you retain people too as things move forward here. That's a struggle that uh, a lot of uh, title and settlement agents have in regard to retention of people. So retention is incredibly important to me. I want to hire lifers. So when I hire somebody, I want them to stay with me forever. So, you know, we put a lot of time and thought into what we do with our employees. I give as much benefit as I can. I believe in free health care. So I pay full health care, full medical for all my employees. And, and that extends to family plans as well, because um, I don't want them to have to bear that cost. Um, I pick up any benefit I can. That's, you know, federal credit unions, legal shield, um, supplemental health insurance policies. And some of this, the employees pay for themselves. But I try to bring as much to the table as I can. 
Then we do things like for Employee Appreciation Day this year, we got everybody matching UGG slippers. <laughs> so, <laughs> we, we, so we collected everybody's shoe size and now we all have the same slippers so that we can wear them in the office and be comfortable. <laughs> um, and, you know, we do on an annual basis, we have our compliance training, but we also have our cultural training where we get together. We do an activity. Last year, we went to Board and Brush and everybody had a different core value or a saying that we use in the office. And we, you know, created these paintings and hung them all over the walls. So we try to do as much as we can to make everybody feel really united, but also make them feel really appreciated. Because I tell them all the time that, you know, I'm not selling title insurance. I'm selling them. I'm selling their ability to get the job done, their ability to service our clients and the feel that our clients get from interacting with them. So, you know, they're the most important asset that I have. Gee, you know, it's just so much on point. And, and as uh, uh, industrial relations people have said for years, uh, you know, people rarely leave because of salary concerns. They generally leave a company because they feel they have no input, they have no control over what they do during the course of the day. And, and what you've created there certainly is a family circumstance where people can discuss issues and work together as a team to accomplish things. Absolutely. Teamwork is the dream work. We have a very open office area, actually, so that, you know, we can have as much interaction. Six feet apart, of course, very COVID safe. (laughs) Um, But no cubicles, no barriers. You know, we want to all be able to see each other and, and talk to each other throughout the day. Well, that's great. Hey, I, I really want to thank you for uh, joining us today, especially because when you and I talked a few days ago, you were having to go to the Department of Motor Vehicles to get your driver's license renewed. I'm glad you got out of there in time to do this podcast with us. Um, so, uh, but again, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, uh, and uh, I think it's been just a, uh, you know, an incredible message as to what you've accomplished uh, in your company. And again, as a family business because we have so many uh, of our title agents around the country who are in those types of family businesses. Well, thank you very much. It was really a lot of fun and thank you for having me. If you have questions, comments, or would like us to feature a specific topic, email fnfeducation at fnf.com. Thanks for downloading FNF Unplugged, a presentation of the FNF family of companies. All rights reserved. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent, including Fidelity National Financial or its directors. Please seek legal or financial advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.